Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 15 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 13th of September 2009, entitled, Jesus Christ Our Lord, Part 4. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 12 to 19. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. As we continue this morning through our series, and uh, up to the 15th sermon in this particular series that we have been uh, going through on contending for the faith. And of course, as we're contending for the faith, we're looking at those fundamentals, and uh, as we Uh, do so this morning, then uh, we're continuing. This is the fourth part of uh, our fundamentals that we're looking at concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, how many of you have ever heard the term apologetics? Who can give me a good definition of what apologetics is this morning? I know Brother Russ can. (laughs) That's it. That really is, is in a nutshell, if you would. When we speak of it in the Christian uh, text, really, if you're just speaking of apologetics, it doesn't necessarily have to be the Christian faith, but it's defending all of those things that, to make up a belief system on, on something. And, uh, and of course, it ri- literally uh, uh, comes from the word apologia in the, uh, in, in the Greek, and, uh, and it means speaking in defense. I got to thinking, I thought, well, I wonder if our English word, you know, when we think of oftentimes, when we think of apologies, we don't think of giving a defense for something we believe as much as making an excuse for something we haven't done. Um, But I suppose it comes from the same thing, trying to defend our position as to why we were not somewhere or something. Um, But, you know, I recently heard it said that one of the greatest weaknesses in the Christian church today is apologetics. Uh, And simply what this person was saying, and I would say that uh, they've probably hitting the nail on the head, is that the vast majority of Christendom that would call themselves Christians, first of all, many of them don't know what they believe anyway. They just know that they're part of a group that calls themselves Christians. But that as you move from that, there are certainly some of those that at least know some of the things of why they are a Christian. (coughs) But you find, shockingly, that a vast majority of those would not be able to give an apology. They would not be able to defend what they believe because many of them, even they, they know what they've been told that they're supposed to believe, but they don't know why they believe it. And, of course, when we're talking about contending for the faith, then folks, how are we going to contend or fight for something if we do not have an understanding and a grasp on that ourselves? You see, I learned a long time ago in our Christian walk, if we believe something just because we've been told it by someone else, because that we have heard it, then the danger is somebody else could come along and tell us something different and suddenly we'll begin to believe something different from what we did before. 
I could go through this morning as a matter of illustration a number of things in God's Word that in my years of studying that I have either had to change direction, change course, or in some things, especially in my early ministry, even make about faces on some things because that I realized that I was believing things that I had been told. But when it came down to studying and finding out why I believed what I believed, then I realized that I had to change my mind about some things or God had to change my mind about some things. But you know what else? When you're standing upon a truth because you genuinely have seen it and believe it because it's in God's Word and God has shown it to you, then you'll stand there, folks. But if you're standing on it only because you've been told that that's what you're supposed to believe, then when the going gets tough, chances are you're not going to be willing to put up too much of a fight for something if it's not something that you genuinely know why you believe it and are able to be able to defend that belief, with which, which is what apologetics is all about. Do you know who the first real apologist was that's ever been actually again named, named as such? The Apostle Paul. <laughs> Read the letters to the churches. He is defending the faith that he believed and why they should not be changing their minds about these things and the other thing and giving them the reasons for why they ought to believe the things that they had been taught. As we look at our sermon for today, and we have looked at this thought of Jesus Christ our Lord, I said that because I want to remind you of something. I told you, I think it was in, I think it was in the, the last one when we were speaking of the, uh, the vicarious death of our Lord. Uh, could have been on the virgin birth, but I said, you know, folks, this isn't rocket science. God did not give us his word to confuse us. He didn't give it to us to contradict himself because he never does. God wants us to understand. As a matter of fact, once we become a child of God and the Holy Spirit moves in, the Holy Spirit is there to teach us and give us understanding. Problem is, too many times we try to resort back to our, our own human intelligence, <laughs> all the things that we've been told by others, rather than being willing to listen to God and what he wants to say. Now, I am attempting not to exhaust what the Word of God teaches on these things. I said it wasn't rocket science because I want you to grasp and understand. When we're talking about contending for the faith, the purpose of this in giving you the fundamentals, folks, the foundational things that you cannot in any shape or form, you can never compromise, you've got to be willing to fight for, but you'll never stand and fight for them if you don't yourself have a sincere, genuine belief and knowledge in your heart that has come from God. Now, when we begin to look at Jesus Christ our Lord, I gave you a couple of simple things. First of all, just, just in his name is being given to us. If you recall that Christ is completely God and that the Christian can only be complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, it is the conversion that will give us that completeness that is complete itself in the gospel that the Lord has given to us. All of the Fundamental doctrines of the faith. I said, and I repeat again, rise and fall 
on what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the only place to start building from. And, of course, we looked at a lot of things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, but then as we move through those things, we also begin to look at one of those first fundamental truths, and that is, of course, his virgin birth. We know that it is a simple doctrine that has been attacked many times in the pulpit, in the schools, but I gave you some simple things there. Folks, is it important? Must we stand upon the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? I tried to give you some simple understanding, hopefully that would drive you to the Word of God. If there is no virgin birth, then there is no divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he wasn't born of a virgin, then he was only a man. If there's no virgin birth, there is no trinity because he not only was merely man, but he was created by the seed of man. If there's no virgin birth, there is no inspiration of God's Word because the Bible itself so clearly declares this truth. And if it's untrue, then the Bible becomes a liar and it becomes completely untrustworthy. If there's no virgin birth, there is no gospel. There is no atonement. There is no salvation. It all becomes impossible without God becoming man, without God coming in the flesh to save you and I. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not vital, that it's not important, that they can be of the same faith as you and not accept and believe and stand upon the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be. It is impossible, folks. We find that not only did we look at his virgin birth, but then we looked at his vicarious death. His vicarious death. And of course we talked about that word vicarious and we talked many things, but basically that it's vital that you realize that Jesus Christ didn't just die on a cross. He died on that cross in your place. We talked about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ being at the very heart of the gospel. Without it, our faith is worthless, and it is only another religion of this world. We find that I tried to break that down very simply, if you remember, by looking at four things last week. Why is it fundamentally essential that we believe and stand upon the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the sin that was committed? All of sin. We're all guilty. Secondly, because of the sentence that is imposed upon that sin, which is the death sentence, which means everyone has sinned, and therefore everyone has been imposed with this death sentence upon each and every individual human being. We look thirdly at the sacrifice that was required. The only sacrifice without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. We look back into the Old Testament. We see that a sacrifice is required to deal with sin. That shedding of blood always has been, always will be. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 told us, without shedding of blood is no remission. There is no other sacrifice that will do. 
A blood sacrifice has always been required for sin. Even in the Old Testament patterns that God gave us, it was the only acceptable sacrifice. The problem is, as we looked into Scripture, we saw that those earthly sacrifices were never quite enough. They had to be repeated over and over and over again. We saw that the Bible taught us that a better sacrifice was needed because here upon the earth in those things that were simply just patterns or types of the heavenly things, they were being repeated. But Jesus Christ himself has entered into heaven. Heaven needed a better sacrifice. You see, everybody sinned. And the death sentence is what is upon that sin. The only sacrifice, the only sacrifice that is acceptable is a blood sacrifice, but none was being offered. But then the Bible taught us, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. He alone. Jesus Christ, the spotless one, only he could be that propitiatory sacrifice to meet the requirements of a holy God. He met those requirements in full once and for all when he made the sacrifice of, his, of himself for you in your place if you will accept it. Jesus Christ, our Lord, he did die for you personally. He shed his blood, but he didn't just die for you. We look forth the, the substitute that was given. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. The sin, the sentence for that sin, the sacrifice that was required, but folks, the substitution because no other sacrifice was ever enough. The Bible says he who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. The miracle of what we call this substitutionary atonement, Jesus Christ dying in your place. Now I want us to move this morning to a third doctrine of Jesus Christ that I'm saying to you is just as foundational and just as fundamental to our faith. Folks, you can't have the same faith. You can't be part of the same faith that we're supposed to be contending for if you don't agree on this. Now if this morning the songs and the message remind you a little bit of Easter, well, there's good reason for it. You know, Easter is not the only time. Every Sunday should be celebration day for our risen Lord. But I want us to look this morning at his victorious resurrection. You know, I've read by some writers that, that this is the most important doctrine in the whole of the Word of God. I don't know. It's kind of hard for me with some of these things. Anything that's, that's fundamental and foundational, if you can't do without anyone, it's hard to put one of more importance than another. But I would say this, that the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ serves as the crowning proof of Christianity. It's what distinguishes Christianity from all of the other religions of the world. Why? Because Christianity is Christ He's not a dead hero. He's not a dead martyr, but he's a living Savior. No other religion out there has that. We can't take you to a grave this morning for the founder of our great faith because there is none. He is alive, as we've even sung this morning, now and forevermore. He defeated sin and he defeated the consequences of that sin, which was death for each and every human being 
that would believe and put their faith and trust in his finished work. Clearly, what I'm going to say that we believe about the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not open to debate. You see, there will be some today that will try to tell you that they are of the same Christian faith as you and I, and yet they would say that he did not bodily raise, but that it was just a spiritual thing that took place. Folks, that is their choice. But I'm saying as clearly as I possibly can, if that is what they believe, they are not of the same Christian faith that you are. They cannot believe that and be part of this faith that you and I are contending for this morning. It is essential. It is a fundamental of our faith that we, capital M, capital U, capital S, capital T, must be in agreement on. If not, then folks, we cannot have fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ of the same faith as much as I would regret that because we are not worshiping at the same altar and we are not serving the same God. You may call it by the same name, but it is not the same faith that I am contending and fighting for this morning. Just as we have with the doctrines of Christ concerning his virgin birth and his vicarious death, I want us to ask ourselves why we must consider his victorious resurrection why would that be foundational and fundamental to our faith for which we are to contend today? Why is it so important that we would state unequivocally that without belief in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you simply are not of the same faith, full stop. No questions, no debate. We are not of the same faith to begin with. Just as we've seen with the virgin birth, just as we've seen with his vicarious death, the Word of God clearly teaches that our belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to your salvation. You cannot be saved. You cannot be born again. You cannot even be part of the Christian family without believing in this essential doctrine. There is probably not I would say almost without question, any book of the Bible that's been used to lead people to Christ more than the Romans road as far as salvation is concerned. And Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us itself that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and say it with me and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. If, if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and if we will believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Folks, I'm saying it's impossible. If you don't believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you cannot be a born-again child of God. You can't get there from where you are. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, speaking of Jesus, says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. We saw last week, his blood sacrifice is atonement for your sins. And his resurrection 
It will allow you to stand justified before a holy God. As with all the other topics that we've covered, folks, I can't even begin to teach and preach and cover all that the Word of God has to teach us concerning the resurrection of our Lord. Not in one sermon unless, unless you're prepared to stay here a whole lot longer than I think you are. <laughs> we can go on for a long time, let me tell you. <laughs> what I do want to do, though, is cover a few simple biblical facts this morning that will help you to understand the immense importance of this doctrine that you would be willing to fight for it at all costs, that you would recognize that there is no way that we can have our faith without this great truth, that it would drive you to God's Word so that you can try to understand as fully as you possibly can and be willing to stand and defend it no matter what the cost might be because you can't have your faith without it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in very simple and straightforward terminology, the Word of God tells us, I'm going to read beginning in verse 12 and reading down through verse 19, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. You can't have your sins forgiven. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Father, we pray that you would help us today. Lord, as we look at this great truth of Scripture, that you would help, Lord, to speak to each and every heart today through the power of your Spirit, that we might understand the importance of what you did for us, not only when you came into this world to take on human flesh, when you died upon that cross to atone for our sins, but, Lord, when you arose the third day victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Help us in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. May I say to you, first of all here, according to verse 14 in our reading, that the Christian faith without the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is first of all without value. He says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain if Christ did not rise, your faith is vain, he says. In other words, your faith is worthless is what the word means. Your faith has no value whatsoever. If Christ didn't overcome death, 
what hope do any of the rest of us have of overcoming that great enemy? If he could not raise himself, which let me remind you, he himself said that no man took his life from it. He lay it down of himself willingly and he had the power to take it again. If he couldn't raise himself, how could he possibly raise you and I at that last day? If the grave is the end and there is no life beyond the grave, then our faith is pretty meaningless and it's pretty worthless as he's saying here. All our hope is in Jesus Christ because he overcame death for us. If Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, then as we gather here this morning, even as we minister and preach in his name, folks, he's dead. He's dead. He can't be both. He either raised from the dead or he's still dead today. And if he's still dead, if he didn't raise, then we're just worshiping a dead Savior. We're no better than any other religion of the world. If our faith is in a dead Savior, then I say to you, we have nothing but a dead faith this morning. There is absolutely no hope for any of us. There is no hope for life eternal. Of what value? Can there be in a dead faith that revolves around a dead Savior? The Word of God says none whatsoever. That what we have is absolutely worthless. We may as well walk away from it. We may as well leave it today because without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith has no value whatsoever. You can't take it away from it, folks. Without the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only is our faith without value. But I say to you this morning that it is without virtue. Notice what he says here in the next verse, in verse 15. He says, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up if so be that the dead rise not. If there is no resurrection, he's saying, folks, we're just a bunch of liars. We're just a bunch of false prophets pushing another false religion. You see, our faith is foundational upon the resurrection. The resurrection is so fundamental to our faith that without it, our faith has no virtue whatsoever. In other words, may I put it simple, there is nothing good about it whatsoever. Not only does it have no value, but there is no goodness in it in any way, shape, or form. It's completely worthless and false. Note that what's recorded in the letter to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, remember that as we look back in the very beginning of this series, as we spoke of contending for the faith, that one of the greatest contentions we were going to have was against the apostates, those that had slipped in unawares, those that had turned away from the truth. We find that those apostates who would turn from the pure gospel, which, folks, is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here, the seriousness about those that would turn from that gospel in any way. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, he says, I marvel, or literally I, I, I'm astonished, that ye are so soon removed 
from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. In other words, you've been called to something else that they're calling a gospel, but it's not really a gospel because there is no other gospel. But there be some that trouble you and would, notice the next word, pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said therefore, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. If there would be those, he says here, that would pervert the gospel. You know, the, the word there literally means to turn across. One of the words that's given in its definition as a simple definition is to transmute. In other words, to change, to alter in any way whatsoever, or to corrupt, to put anything there that would take away from its purity. He says, if anybody would do that to the gospel in any way, shape, or form, we are told twice in here in this verse, let him be accursed, which literally means to ban or to excommunicate. In other words, it's such a critical thing to pervert the gospel in any way that would take away from his purity in any way by changing it in any way that we shouldn't even allow someone who would do that to even stay in our midst. We should have nothing to do with them because they're false witnesses that will lead people to an eternity in hell that would diminish any virtue, any goodness that can come from the gospel, any virtue whatsoever that is part of the faith that we're supposed to be standing and contending for. Folks, any such changing of the gospel in any way, will you listen to me? It comes straight from the pits of hell and not only from the pit of hell, but from Satan himself. You say, preacher, that's kind of strong. You know, if I could think of some words to put it any stronger this morning, I would use them because I cannot. It is impossible for this preacher to overstate the seriousness of such a thing as corrupting, as perverting, as changing the gospel of doing anything that would take away from his purity and its simplicity. I cannot overstate it. You take the resurrection away from our faith, and our faith is absolutely worthless, and it is absolutely without anything good in it whatsoever. Folks, without the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith is without value. It is without virtue, and I say to you, according to verse 17, it is without victory. <laughs> Notice he says, and if Christ be not raised... Your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the grave, you are still in your sins. Full stop. That's clear. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, that's proof that the sacrifice wasn't sufficient to clear the debt of sin. We're therefore still in those sins. And guess what? If we're still there, the penalty is still due. And the only penalty is death. We can't have anything. There is no such thing as life 
with sin. I remember either reading or hearing somewhere that one of the most staggering statistics in all the world is the statistic on death. It eventually gets one out of every one person. <laughs> one out of every one person. We use another saying in baseball terminology when something is batting a thousand. Have you ever heard that term, batting a thousand? Well, that literally means that that batter never misses. Matter of fact, they first came up with it from cricket, by the way. They used the scoring of the average of, of the cricket player, and they came up with an idea to come up with an average for the, the baseball batting. But batting a thousand means that he successfully hits every ball when he comes to hit. He never strikes out. Now, in baseball, that's only a possibility that, in fact, is humanly impossible. It's never been done, though it's potentially possible. As a matter of fact, no one's ever been able to average over half that in a season even. And most would do a third of that and be considered very, very good. But death has been at it a long time, folks. And guess what? He's never missed yet. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. One out of one. Batting a thousand. If Christ was not victorious over death, then it means that Christ was defeated, and so were we. The resurrection is the proof. It's the evidence that he was victorious over death. Death couldn't hold him. The Bible teaches us that he descended into the lower parts of hell. Don't let anybody tell you that he had to go there because the devil had control of him. The wages of sin is death, not hell. The gift of God is eternal life. Heaven and hell are eternal abiding places. I believe the Bible teaches me that Jesus descended into hell to set those captives free, folks. <laughs> All those sacrifices up to then, the Bible said in Hebrew, they hadn't been good enough for them to enter into heaven. They'd had the earthly part. They were in that place called paradise. But once Jesus Christ had paid for the atonement and when he had defeated death, then he could go and he could set those captives free and he could take them to heaven, praise God. Jesus Christ, if he didn't rise again, then we're a defeated people. We are proclaiming and believing and standing upon a faith that is without value, that is without virtue, and that is without victory. But I want to give you one final one this morning, just in case that wouldn't make it important enough. Notice what he says here in verse 18 and 19. Folks, it's also a faith that is without vision. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Literally speaks there of being pitiable. <laughs> We're a sorry lot. <laughs> People should take pity on us <laughs> without the resurrection. We're simply a doomed people with no hope for the future whatsoever. You can forget those visions of seeing those loved ones that have gone on before you. Without the resurrection, that will never happen. You can forget those visions of walking the streets of gold because without the resurrection, that can never happen. Matter of fact, you can forget your visions of any future in heaven for you or for anybody else, past, present, or future. There's nothing beyond the grave if there was no resurrection. If we've sacrificed the pleasures of this flesh, 
if we face the persecution from those around us because of our trying to live godly lives, <clears throat> if we've faithfully given our time and our service and our money for the building up of a kingdom that is not simply going to ever exist, if we have no hope beyond what we have in this life and there is no resurrection to come for us, we are a miserable, pitiable people. In other words, it's all for nothing. There is nothing left of our faith. But the truth is, he did rise again from the grave. It is fundamentally vital that we believe it, that we allow it not to be changed in any way, shape, or form, that we contend for it no matter what the cost is, that we do everything in our power to make the truth known to everyone around us with no compromise. Because, folks, we find that because of the victorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, there is value to our faith, <laughs> great value, value that is beyond calculation. There is virtue in our faith. It's truth and it has goodness for all mankind beyond anything. It can do for man what nothing else in all the world can do if you'll trust it and believe in it. There is victory in our faith. Victory over sin, first of all. Victory over death, hell, and the grave. The Bible teaches us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. There is vision for our faith. Visions for a future of eternal life and, a, and an eternal heaven with our eternal God for ourselves and for our redeemed friends and family that have gone on before us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we left off reading earlier, I'd like to read to you there, picking up in verse 20, just listen. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end. He shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. When he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's just live it up. It doesn't matter. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 
But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. That which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. To every seed his own body. I mean, he said nature yourself ought to show you. <laughs> you got to take the seed and it's got to dry and you put it in the ground and then something else comes from it. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, it was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He begins saying that if Jesus Christ had not raised from the dead, then all of our faith is in vain. It's worthless. But he's saying, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as, guess what? Your faith is not in vain. It's not worthless because Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. Peter preaching at Pentecost, at Pentecost, he declared these words. He said in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, 
having loosed the pains of death. Listen, I love this because it was not possible that it should be holding of it. It wasn't possible. You see, he says, Christ is our victor. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. That's pretty fantastic stuff. Holding. It's translated from a Greek word that literally means to hold fast, to retain something right where it's at. In other words, it was impossible for death to hold the Lord Jesus Christ, for him to be held fast, for him to be retained by death. When he rose from the grave, death was defeated right there and right then forevermore through Jesus Christ. He's the only one. No other person that ever walked this earth that ever defeated death. But Jesus did. Jesus did. The only others that ever went there and came back was because of God's power in doing it. They didn't do it of themselves like our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You know, a certain mobile phone company that will tell you that the future is bright with orange. <laughs> well, I've got orange, but I'm not counting on my future being bright because of orange. Oh, but I believe the future is bright with Jesus, folks. <laughs> it's bright with Jesus. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked a simple question, believest thou this? Jesus said, I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. And if you'll put your faith and trust in me, even though it might seem like you're dead, you'll never die. You'll live evermore with me. Do you believe this? He said. Is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you believe that he is completely God, that, he, that you can be complete in him? That's only through the pure, unadulterated gospel that any genuine conversion can truly be complete. The death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm asking you, do you believe that? Is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ our Lord do you believe and accept this morning the necessity of the virgin birth, his vicarious death, and his victorious resurrection, praise God? If so, are you willing to contend for those fundamentals today? Are you willing to defend those truths? Are you willing, no matter what the cost, to realize if you do away with these fundamental things, we have no hope, we have no future, there's nothing left. I pray that if you have doubts in any of those areas today, I pray that if you don't have that absolute confidence of knowing that you've experienced not just that life that comes in the natural, in the flesh, but you've experienced that spiritual birth, that second birth, Jesus Christ himself,
told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. A lot of time we take a lot of hype. Oh, you're one of those born again Christians. I didn't make up the term. The Baptist didn't do it. Jesus did. He said, you must be born again. Do you know that with absolute confidence today? I pray that if you don't, I pray that you will before this day comes to a close. I pray that you'll come and see us following this service. I pray that if you've got questions, if you want someone to pray with you, I pray that you can get that assurance of knowing today, oh, that your future's bright because of Jesus Christ, all because of him. I give you this word in closing in John chapter 14 and in verse 19. Jesus ended that verse that simply saying, because I live, ye shall live also. Father, we thank you this morning for the time that we've had to look into your word. We thank you for that wonderful promise, Lord, that because you live, because, because that you were victorious over death, because that you rose the third day as you promised that you would, Lord, today we know that because you live, that anyone here today that's never experienced that spiritual birth, they can live also. They can live today and they can live for all eternity, but there is no other path. And Father, we pray that you would work in the hearts. And we pray also that for we as believers, that you would not, Lord, allow us in the contemporary face of our day to allow our faith to be weakened, to allow it to be watered down, to allow anything to be taken away from it, but help us to be willing to contend for that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Help us to be willing to stand upon these things. And Lord, we're not doing anyone any favors by pretending that it doesn't matter. Lord, if they have any hope at all, they must come to realize just how much it really does matter. That they have the truth. That their faith is in that truth. I pray now that as you speak to hearts this morning, that there are those in our midst that are lost that need to be saved. I pray that you'd help them, Lord, to realize that, to see that, to see the great love that you're waiting for them this day. And Father, we pray for those that might be in our midst that are saved, that are walking at a distance, Father, that you'd remind them of just, just how much that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help them to be drawn near. Father, you do the work in each of our hearts. You meet the needs of each individual as only you can for your glory, for your honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. <music> 